Broadcasting from Nashville Guitar Store in the heart of Music City, USA. Bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. Sharing tales of their history, discussing guitars, their gear, their work, what's on tap for the future, and delivering wisdom we'll all appreciate. Your host is Marcia Ware Wilder, nationally recognized radio personality, singer, actor, and author. Well, our guest today is Will McFarland. Um... And this is always a temptation for me to just kind of go all fangirl, <laughs> and I will. I don't care. I became acquainted with this man way back in night 19- <laughs> uh, with an album called Right From The Start, but I'll tell you what, this man has graced the stage with um, Bonnie Raitt, Bobby Blue Bland. He's been in the studio with folks like uh, Candy Staten, Phil Driscoll, Luther Ingram, Levon Helm. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and as I said, uh, right from the start, as an album came out with, uh, as he took his uh, journey down the road of Christian ministry in uh, the CCM realm. Uh, gosh, I tell you, there's so many things I can't wait to ask you, but I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, a recent inductee into the Musicians Hall of Fame with the Muscle Shoals guys, the Swampers. So uh, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. And uh, we always like to rewind to the very, very beginning. And uh, your trip starts in California. That's where you begin. Well, I really the first three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad, I'm a Navy brat, gotcha. so dad was stationed out in Coronado, and I was born there. But uh, they took me back east pretty quickly. Dad was deployed to Korea, so yeah. uh, so I don't really consider myself a Californian because my parents are Texans, grandparents Texans, you gotcha. know. So gotcha. that was always my chauvinistic overview. <laughs> But I was back and forth between Texas and northern Florida. Yeah. You know, Dad was stationed where the aircraft carriers were. And and, um, and we thank him for his service. He's a delightful guy. He retired a captain in the Navy, so oh. he was he, he had scrambled eggs on his visor. <laughs> and wow. uh, and uh, he became a engineering an engineering test pilot for Grumman in Long Island, New York. And so he moved us all up to Long Island when I was 14, which was culture shock for me. You know, it was, you know, being a little Southern kid who said, yes, sir, and yes, Mm ma'am. And all of a sudden I was in this New York, you know, pretty quick environment. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm glad it happened, you know, it was a great overview. And, and, uh, so I graduated from high school in New York. Awesome. Well, that actually leads us to, uh, um, Another, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, you actually started, before guitar, you started with piano? Yeah, my stepmother started giving me piano lessons when I was about seven. Okay. And I just loved it until I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. That'll do it. And then there was something deep in my soul that I just went, that's what I do. I just knew that's what I do. And I was begging a guitar off anybody. And in a certain way, I think my father thought that music was part of a well-rounded education, but it, you shouldn't do it for a living. And right. the idea that I was so pursuant mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a conflict there. Yeah. And and uh, but my grandma gave me a cheap little electric guitar. I think it was a Regent. Okay, that was a name as one of those, you know inch thick mahogany right, pieces right. of junk with light switches for pickup selectors yeah it would fall apart in the wind <laughs> and i don't know you could probably paddle a canoe with it, but, but uh you don't still have that no i wish i did yeah. but i and and she brought me uh bought me a little premier twin eight amp okay. which is a great harmonica amp yeah. but uh but i couldn't get up and over the the drums with it but nonetheless in junior high i probably played my first junior high dance for money when i was in 1964 okay so that's been a while yeah a few minutes it's been been a year or two um so the beatles uh was a huge influence huge and uh who was your favorite who was your favorite beatle well, I like the lead guitar player. You know, well, I wanted, I wanted, uh, I, he was the guy doing the stuff. You yeah. Know? Okay. Uh, but uh, McCartney's voice blew me away. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, you wanted to learn those guitar parts, which I hadn't, they were Star Trek to me at the time. Now, right. listening back to them, they're so wonderfully influenced by Chet. And, yes. You know, the early rockers yes. that, that, yeah. that it's all in my repertoire now. But back, you know, when you're 11 and a half or 12 years old, you're, yeah. it's, it's Absolutely. rocket science. Absolutely. Who else was, uh, 
Who else was lighting your world? Well, I just, any, there was so little good music TV to Mm me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why seeing them live on the Ed Sullivan Uh show was so powerful because the only other stuff was like Hullabaloo where they just mimed to it. And every now and then I think we could pick up Shindig, which now looking back at that amazing band with, you know, Glenn Campbell and... Leon Russell and yeah, those guys, yeah, yeah. but uh, but I wasn't hip enough to really get that in it, and I probably only saw one or two of them back in the black and white TV days. Was, you was know? Old Grey Whistle Test, was that more like 70s? Oh, yeah, that was 75. Yeah. Six, seventy six. Now, now you're now you're getting into my pre MTV world. Yes. Yeah. Old yeah. Gray Whistle Test was seventy. That's when I played it in seventy six. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that was yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, so um, when you picked up the guitar. I know you say the Beatles changed your world, but really R&B was what lit you up, right? Well, you know, the interesting thing about the Beatles is you think they just invented it all almost, you know, but then you'd read, you know, Roll Over Beethoven and it would say, C. Berry wrote it. Well, who's that? And then you find Chuck Berry Berry. and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're like, whoa, and then you read some about him and he says he's influenced by T-Bone Walker and then you go back and you go, who's that? Yeah. you know, you you go back through the the influences, and it's the next very, thing you know, it's you, a very British thing, I think. They, well, I, they loved American blues and R&B. They got you know, it probably way more than Americans did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've always felt that way. Peter yeah. Frampton used to talk about how he would lean on his, and we've I've talked about this with with other guests, but he would lean on his his speaker and he would listen to how Robert White from the Funks would just, you yeah. know, he would listen to Motown and break it down. Yeah. And 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 that's that's how determined yeah. he was to get that sound, and that, and I appreciate that. I appreciate a lot of British British musicians for oh, that. I totally do. Absolutely, they, they honored us way more than we did. Yeah. Um, so, um, you actually, this is where you answered my this question um, from California to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Probably came by way of your move to New York, right? Yeah. Uh, once I was up in the Northeast, you know, I hooked up with a bunch of musicians, and their parents had a, a barn in upstate New York, so we went and woodshedded up there, and mm-hmm. and that was a great period of time in my life. I uh, we had a drummer in the band named Paul Siegel who. I don't think anybody loves music more than Paul. And he had this, you know, probably 2,000 LPs. You know? I mean, wow. really. I mean, we boxes of yeah. LPs. And yeah. So he turned me on to everything. He loved R&B. He did, that was the first thing out of his mouth. Yeah. At the time, I was almost in a singer-songwriter kind of Poco-ish kind of a gotcha. thing. I, You know, my southern thing up yeah. there. And, yeah. and, uh, and he said, well, you know, I really love r- good country, but... Mm. My first love is R&B, and yeah. so he's the one who first turned me on to, you know, Booker T and the MGs, mm-hmm. and and uh, and more than that, uh, you know, a lot of the blues stuff, you know, the but the, it was the rhythm section stuff right, that I right. went crazy. He had all the Meters records, yeah. and mm-hmm. and I realized, man, that's how I feel. You know, my right yeah. hand just immediately went there, yeah. and so I just devoured the Meters. I just loved Leo Nocentelli's playing and. And then all the rhythm players, you started to recognize these mm-hmm. guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, many times when I do guitar interviews, they'll go, well, who are your influences? And the first five people I mention, they've never heard of. You right. Because it's Reggie Young for sure. I yeah. mean, he may be almost my biggest influence. And it, ultimately, once mm-hmm. you become a session guy, I, I think he's the greatest tracking musician who ever lived. The beauty of this uh, podcast happening at the time that it does is the fact that when you mention someone that our listeners might not know, Google. <laughs> They're right. all about Google. And that just opens up. And I think that's one of the great things about what we do here at Nashville Guitar Store. You're just basically opening up our whole world to more great influential players that may not get the due that they deserve well reggie's probably played on five thousand chart singles you know i mean he he's drift away and son of a preacher man and you know cry like a baby and 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 sweet caroline and if you weren't a a credit reading geek like i am yeah wouldn't know and he's suspicious minds for elvis and (laughs) he's like everything george Strait ever did you know and he's the solo on that's the way love goes for merle haggard and he's everywhere and he just becomes the song just becomes the song yeah. through his fingers yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he does maybe one tasty little lick coming out of the bridge and they write the string chart to it you Love know it. i mean he's just the just the most intuitive tracking and generous yeah like you know i've met session guys in la and i'd go man that was a great sound you got on that how what were you doing and, mm-hmm. and he's oh, it's sort of like for me to know and you to find out you know <laughs> But then you you turn to Reggie and you go, man, you know, you sit in the room with him and 
what was that you just did or how yeah. are you he'll go well you know will i well why don't you just come over here and plug into my rig and and i'll show you and he was just so generous mm-hmm. of spirit Mm-hmm. You know, it, because it didn't threaten him for me to right. learn something from him. He yeah. wasn't going, well, if Will knows it, I won't work as much. Right. He never had that right. kind of withholding kind of an attitude. He I was know. always just super generous with everything. And, and so I I consider some of the, my favorite times in headphones, you know, yeah. with Reggie. That's so cool. Uh, that's the mark of a brilliant musician when they are not... When they know each other or know themselves well enough to know, hey, this kid's got chops. Let's give him his moment. And that moment creates more moments for you. And yet he still gets to be on the throne he's on. See, that's the mark of a good musician he's not worried about. about You know, it's funny. I almost felt guilty at the end of that first record I worked with him because he so held down the fort. He so did this beautiful stuff that I did a lot of the fills and Mm -hmm. I did the power chord stuff Mm -hmm. around it because I became the utility infielder. Right, right, right. Then they listed me on the record as the lead guitar and and Reggie as guitar. And I almost felt like, oh my God, I'm (laughs) I'm unworthy, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, you've got... The, that that wonderful moment, and it leads to more. Like I said, it leads to more moments. Tell me about the musical education you got with Bonnie Raitt. Oh well, that was rare air. You know, oh, that was. I was playing. Well, you know, I lived in upstate New York, and then we heard it was a great club scene down in D.C., and we moved to D.C. for a year, mm-hmm. and we were playing the same clubs that Roy Buchanan and Danny Gadden were mm-hmm. playing, and so I was seeing those guys. You know, I'm fortunate. Mm-hmm. I've seen Roy Buchanan play a couple of dozen times in my life. You know. And he just became like, he became like our daddy, you know, yeah. that telecast. Because it was, James Burton was really, yeah. if you're a tele player, James right. Burton's your daddy. You okay. know? I mean, that's gotcha. just all there is to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he was amazingly influential. Except that when you get in that soul kind of R&B, mm-hmm. Cornell Dupree, mm-hmm. Curtis Mayfield, Bobby Womack, yes. Steve Cropper, of course. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, uh, you know, those guys that yeah. were real signature, simple rhythm play, they became my heroes. Uh, they were Jesse Ed Davis yes. for Taj Mahal. Uh-huh. I those miss were Bobby my... Womack. I miss Bobby Womack. Yeah, man. He, his, well, Reggie, uh, if you listen to the great old Wilson Pickett mm-hmm. song, I'm in Love, okay. with that odd beat that's like, I'm in love, love, love. Yes. You know, all those little fills? Yeah. That's Reggie on one side and Bobby Womack on the other, and they're just having a conversation. Oh, I It's, it's a rhythm guitar playing masterpiece to oh, me, as well I, as Drift Away in a lot of oh, Wilson's. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Most people know Drift Away, but that, but see, I would have lost that my song, mind. That song was Bobby... Womack and Reggie Young. Wow. And you just listen to the conversation they're having, and it's just magnificent. So that little things like that. Th- those were the things that I just became attracted to because I never had really the mentality to walk out in front and you know, play the guitar behind yeah. my head. And you know, I mean, yeah. I was just never a lead guitar player in my soul. I know how to take a break, and I know how to right. play, but, but, there's, there's but my swag. first yeah. love is being in the band. Yeah. I love yeah. listening to the bass player in the, in the hi-hat. Awesome. And you drop into the, and you're just in the band. Yeah. And, and and you drop into this soulful kind of a rhythm thing, and yeah. it's a feel thing. Yeah. And you don't have to be flashy, you just have and to be right. The, you've got the best seat in the house. Yeah, and that's oh, it. And that's, that's me. That's yeah. me at heart. Yes. And uh, little by little, I learned how to do things. But I played the guitar for seven, six or seven years before I ever took a solo. Oh, wow. I was just a rhythm guitar player. That's awesome. I say just because it's still my first love. Well, and and to me, you, I want to cross out that just because... Rhythm guitar does exactly what yeah. it's meant to do. It right. gives you the groove. It gives you yeah. the, the the base, the basis yeah. of of what makes that song. I mean, yeah, everybody, most guitar players, most want to have that swagger and have the have that you know moment where they're just out there shredding. But without the rhythm guitar player, where yeah. would the something lead be? goes away? Something goes away without the without the rhythm yeah. guitar player. The lead is just you know flashy guy making noise, but. You know, sometimes it's great noise they're making, yeah, but nevertheless, it's really good it's, noise. Oh, sometimes it's phenomenal noise, but there should never be just. I I, I have yeah. lots of. Well, lots I of love. Things. I'm one of the guys that really loves working with another guitar player. Mm-hmm. I'm in a band with a guy named Kelvin Holly. Okay. At home mm-hmm. down in Muscle Shoals, we play just once a week together, just to. So we can overplay tastelessly, you know what I mean? Yeah, I got. Because when you're in the studio, <laughs> you have to be so tastefully elegant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, you you, you, you gotta you, let it slough so you, you need man. a catharsis, you yeah. know. And, and once a week, Kelvin and I, and we just have this conversation. It's great. And then I'm in a band up here in Nashville. We're playing tonight, you mm-hmm. know, uh, with Kenny Kramer mm-hmm. and uh, Rick Huckabee, and the, so it's actually a three guitar band. Yeah. But oh, we don't cool. step on each other. Yeah. We really enjoy leaving each other spaces. And, and everybody in the band has that sensibility that we're not saying, I own this. Yeah. We're saying, well, yeah, this is my part. For this song, it's just this simple, but I own it. You well, know. That leads me to another question. Um, I watched uh, some tribute, and I think it was to Buddy Guy. This was maybe like 10, 15 years ago. And you had Bonnie and Clapton and um, like... Five or six really A-list players on there, and for a moment you kind of saw each of them trying to give each other deference, but nobody wanted to just kind of. They were all like, right. "No, you go. No, you go." You could just see it on their faces. How do you, when you're sitting there with talent like that, how do you? Well, bring- it's like any other conversation. I okay. don't know you that well. We've right. met several times. Right. And by the end of this conversation, we're going to be much more fluent. Right. Okay. You know, right now, right now you're, and that's what it is. It's a conversation. Okay. And you don't even know what the guy thinks. And people, have you ever had those conversations where you can tell they're not really listening to you? They're just waiting for you to finish so they can say what they want to say? Well, there are musicians like that too. Yeah. But the best musicians are listening to what you have to say and then they go, oh, really? Is that you? And then they respond in, in kind. Or if you're doing it low and slow, they might swing up high just to, yeah. Not, do exactly what you just did. They take the conversation to another place, yeah. and then the other guy goes, "Wow, if you're going to go there, I'm only going to hit one note because yeah. you just hit, you know, all <laughs> you know what I mean." I do, I do, I do. And guys yeah. like, well, Buddy or yeah. or, or BB always won the one note you competition. <laughs> as soon as they hit one note, you you go, "Well, that's enough. That yeah. was that was. It's all been said now. Yeah. In that one note, we quit." And from a vocalist standpoint, it reminds me of VH1 Divas when it was. Uh, Celine and Mariah and Aretha and um, poor little Shania Twain, bless her heart. She was just, she was giving it all she got, but you're standing there against the Mount Rushmore of yeah, vocalists. Yeah, right. And really, honestly, it was Aretha and everybody else. Uh, it, but, always, and, and, it always has been. It always has been. May she rest in peace, bless her heart. But it was like, it was just kind of, I, as someone who's been in that situation, to watch someone just take command by virtue of who they are. Right. And the, in this case, the instrument was the voice. Right. But to watch, you know, Celine was probably the one who really gave it the most effort possible to right. kind of stay on that same right. plane with, uh, with, with Aretha. But the other three were just jockeying for... Well, you know what? One of my favorites... I've seen Bonnie many times. Of course, a lot of, a lot of women super admire Bonnie's mm-hmm. voice as well. And yeah. She's sucked to me. She's one of the finest interpretive singers in my generation. I agree. And, uh, you know, I mean, I saw grown men cry yeah. you know, when she was singing. But if another woman would sit in, you know, and there was all this melisma and flying mm, around yeah. like that, and Bonnie let him go and just, yeah, man, and she honors yeah. him. Yeah. And then she goes to the mic and goes, ah, or whatever. Yeah, just yeah. one note and the audience goes crazy. Goes nuts, yeah. And because she has nothing to prove. Right. She's just... The best is. players have nothing yeah. to prove because she, they've already done it. They've yeah. they've kind of worked their way, and I put you in that. Well, I appreciate I, I, that. I, and that no 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 sycophantic notions whatsoever. I really believe <laughs> you are right there. As I said at the beginning of the of the the podcast, I am a credit reading geek, and that's how I learn a lot of the names. That you know, that's how yeah. I you know. Mark is like, well, I haven't heard of so and so. I hadn't I'm like, dude, if you were. A stalker like I am, you'd know these people. So there you go. But what do you think, um, just kind of last touch on Bonnie for a minute. Um, oh, yeah. What what lessons have you learned from her? Well, what, what I, I learned a lot from Bonnie because, first of all, when Bonnie sings this beautiful note, mm-hmm. like, you don't, you don't want the feel of the song to be this incredible vocal and then you go... Right, right, right. I mean, so you learn to come up under an artist's wings you're it's about the song and it's about the artist mm-hmm. it's not about you being the lead guitar player it's about again the ensemble of, and i really learned a lot to leave out and actually when i see old footage of me with her there are times i go god i wish i could play with her now the way i play now i wish i oh, knew yeah. then because oh. i was trying to cram that in god that sounds like i'm trying to cram that in oh. my touch is more young and less soulful to me yeah you know, I'd like to think I'm getting better than I was when I was 22, you know. And so I, when I look back at that, I realize I was still trying to get stuff I was learning into things mm-hmm. as opposed to just letting it happen. And also, of course, 
the the bands we were on the bill with, mm-hmm. you know, were yeah, the best were, in the world. Who were you? Doing? Well, you know, Little Feet, Muddy oh, Waters, uh, yeah. Tom Waits, yeah. uh, Buddy Guy, yeah. Junior Wells, uh, John Lee Hooker. Yeah. Um, wow. You know what I mean? Sonny yeah. Terry, Brownie McGee. Uh, Arthur Crudup, uh, Johnny Shines. And she's another one that when Rod she's... Cooter. Oh, wow. Oh, but, okay. But you know okay. what I'm saying? So yeah. you're listening to the best in the world, and you're watching them touch it, and you're... It, it was yeah. like it was like my alma mater. It's like how I got schooled, you that's, know. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, the, that's what I wrote down. The Bonnie Raitt School of Music. That's how I wrote yeah. it down. Um, she's a pretty fearless slide player. Um, how much of her influence is actually in your playing? Uh, every now and then, I tip my hat to her. Okay. But I'm I. I, I realize she's just got, she really does have a signature. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because she has a signature strap with Fender. But when she plays that old brownie, you know, yeah. it's there's something about that middle pickup that yeah. is just a sick, it's a, it's mystical to me. Yeah. And, uh, and I really love it. She's really slow and she stays within what she hears. Yes. And orchestrates as much as she as much as soloing, she she almost orchestrates more, yeah. and I really love that. And I take that from her yeah. the same way Lowell did. I'm probably note for note more influenced by Lowell, okay, or Rye. I don't tend to come from the Dwayne Allman school as much, right, right. Uh, but I, I I'm much more Bonnie Lowell Rye. Gotcha. And they're all three in an inter. To me, they're in a Venn diagram. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're they're <laughs> yeah. they're they're all in. There are little bits and pieces each mm-hmm. one of them has from each one of them. Right. That my in particular my slide playing is yeah. very influenced by those yeah. three more than anybody. Okay. Else. Okay. Because because um, uh, I was going to say um, Nick of Time and Luck of the Draw kind of changed my life back well, in my in my twenties. Those were just they were ridiculous. And with um, between. Bonnie Raitt and Tina Turner, my whole world was just blown by these women. And, and I think it had as much to do with the place in life that they were. They were mm-hmm. women of a certain age. Right, yeah. And they just, you know, you, and, and Aretha was, you, you, you sing with that authority. You play with that authority. Wright Cooter plays with that. It's almost like even when he was younger, he played like someone who'd been playing like he's like like he should be about three hundred fifty years old. Well, you know, I've gotten a lot of compliments lately from young guys that can that know technically they're faster. You know, and they they can go to YouTube and learn exactly. You know, we had to ruin records by sticking yes, the needles yes, back. Yes, and, yes, and yes. these kids can just go learn with tab and just yeah. you know, and and they get amazing. Yeah, you know, and some of course are it's more than math. They're super gifted, but they'll they'll be overly you know uh, mm-hmm. complimentary about my playing and it's an intangible that at this point i think there is a comfort that you just play for 50 years and yeah and the way you touch it is you know like mm-hmm. you know it's not like you know i've been married 42 years for example okay and i don't just go oh my wife needs eight to 12 meaningful touches a day one <laughs> two i'm four behind one two three four you don't just yeah you, you you know, yeah. we, we touch each other differently, right? Because there's there's an intimacy there, and there's the same thing happens musically with your instrument, and and it's something I can't always tell I have or not have, but I, I, I really always appreciate the encouragement when yeah. people say, there's, it, "Your tone, your touch, or yeah. whatever," and it's I'm I'm not showing them anything they don't know. Yeah, it's just so obvious when I pick up their instrument, it sounds different than when yeah. they pick up their instrument, right? And that's not bad or good. It's subjective. It just, it just is what it is. But it is yeah. what it is. And yeah. I, I think that, you know, when when maybe of all of the two records you just mentioned, the one line where she goes, you know, life just gets more precious when there's less of it oh, to waste. When, you know, oh, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and that's time. it. Nick and we know yeah. there's... Yeah. There's less in front of us now mm-hmm. than there was Look behind us. Yeah. Unless, you know, I lived 132 or 3 or that's, whatever. That's my plan. I just turned 52. That is my plan. Yeah, my plan good. is to cross 100. So- that's good. Good for you. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Thanks. Good luck with that, Marcia. Good luck. Hey, um, so just a few more just kind of background questions. Um, when did Muscle Shoals come into play? Because you lived in – you. Three weeks in California, a few years uh, yeah. in New York. You were down in Cambridge. Bonnie found you in Cambridge, and yeah. then Muscle Shoals came. Right. Well, you know, I, was, I, I'll go back and backtrack a little because I said we moved down to D.C. and oh, played right, the, right, play right. the club scene there for a year. Gotcha. And then somebody said, "Man, I just got back from Cambridge, and it is wide open. Mm-hmm. There's you know live music every night in every mm-hmm. club." And so we all, as a band, with some of my high school bandmates and these other guys, all moved up to Cambridge. And uh, 
I, um, Dick Waterman, who I super honor. He was Bonnie's manager. He's gotcha. also the guy that went back and found Sun House and took him to Newport oh. Folk Festival. And he managed Bonnie and managed Junior Wells okay. and, and um, other Crudup and Mississippi Fred McDowell. And he managed them all. Really interesting cat. Okay. I mean, he was a photojournalist and he has the most iconic pictures of Bonnie yeah. and Sun House and all these guys. But he also, some of the most iconic pictures of Robert F. Kennedy and Ted Williams. Okay. You know, I okay. mean, he's yeah. amazing guy. Very, very insightful guy. When they honored Buddy Guy at the RFK thing, you know, the Kennedy Awards. Yes, yes, yes. Three of the six massive pictures of Buddy Guy were Dick Waterman photographs. Okay. So that's Dick. And he started showing up at gigs I was playing. And somebody okay. goes, you know who that is? That's, you know. Yeah. And, and. I didn't really think about it, but one night he just showed up, walked right down to the front with Bonnie Raitt sitting next to him and introduced me, and she took me on the road with her. So I toured with her from 74. <laughs> I did the Late for the Sky tour in 74 and stayed with her then for another five years. Yeah. And uh, and uh, when she got off the road at one point, I think she, it, that might have been she had the nodes or right. whatever and took nine months yeah. off or whatever. And uh, I moved to L.A. Okay. And so I worked in I, I worked in L.A. every year that I was with her. I mean, she flew me to the... It, she loved Cambridge so much, too, that if we did an East Coast tour, she'd fly to Cambridge. And so I could I stayed living there for a long time. Oh, and cool. we'd rehearse in Cambridge and then do, you know, Portsmouth, Boston, New Haven, New York, Philly, right. D.C., you know, mm-hmm. whatever. We'd do the East Coast. Yeah. And then she'd fly me to L.A. and, and we'd do a record or whatever. And then we'd do the West Coast. So... Uh, I, I was able to stay in Cambridge for the first three or four, three years I was in her band. But then I moved okay. to L.A. in 78 and worked out there and How'd toured with the Pointer you? Sisters. And I, I did, you know, some of the Urban Cowboys. I started yeah. doing some movie yeah. soundtrack stuff. And and it went well for me. I just, Janet hated it. We had little kids by then. My yeah. twins are 41 years old. So, what? So, so we had little babies in L.A. Yeah. And uh, it was just the traffic and the, you know, little, you, yeah. you spend four hours in your car and put 38 miles on it, you yeah, know, and you say, yeah. I can't live like this. And I was introduced to Jimmy Johnson. Now, I always knew Paul Siegel, as I said, this guy who had all the records, when Bealtitudes came out by the Staple Singers. Okay. Yep. But I'll take you there and respect yes, yourself. Yes, and, yes, yes. And it just became our wake up more. It was like mm-hmm. our morning devotional or something yes, as a yeah. band. You know, you, we did that, that in the Lee Dorsey Yes We Can album. <laughs> We're like, they were in rotation yeah. for the morning music gotcha. that went on in our band house where we didn't even have doors. We had beads right. for doors, right. you know? Right, right. And, uh, and, you know, crashing the band set up in the living room and gotcha. all just, you know, just typical hippie crash musician pad. And, oh, I love it. And love so it, love I it, knew it. who Muscle Shoals was at that point. That's what hit me to him. And then I realized their history and all the when a man loves a woman and never loved a man mm-hmm. and all that great so Mustang Sally. Yeah. Land of a Thousand Dances. Uh, yeah. Funky Broadway, you know. And all that was so cool. And then when Brown Sugar came out in 72, that was Muscle Shoals. Yeah. And so I knew who Jimmy Johnson was because okay. he was a rhythm guitar player. Okay. He was the, you know, the 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 rhythm guitar on a like starting all over again. Ding, 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 ding. Oh gosh, yeah. Or you're like a or, walking inside of people. Or, or like, funky like Broadway. Yeah, or, yeah. or you know Jimmy's on Respect. Yes. By Aretha and, and Chain 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 and Baby yeah. I Love You and that kind of stuff and and uh, I love Jerry Wexler's production too. And he finally oh, came to Muscle Shoals. I got to work for Jerry when uh, on Annette James record oh, with wow. Steve Cropper, which was awesome. So. So that was a fun day. How do you studio. not lose your mind like around? Yeah, I mean, no. just you just have to be cool. Yeah, okay, because seriously, I wouldn't be. I'm, was, I'm not even gonna lie. I'm not even really cool right now. I'm sitting here like trying not to let the the. Yeah. I'm drooling here. So well, this is before cell phones, so I couldn't do a selfie. You had to wait for an official photographer to come around. You know what I mean? And yeah. You couldn't just go, "Hey, Steve, yeah. you're a chick." <laughs> Because so, you try to do that with the old-fashioned cameras, you'd like to just have foreheads. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't happen. So, so you know, um, what was I talking about? The Muscle Shoals well, sound. So I, I ran in. I was introduced to Jimmy Johnson on one of his L.A. trips. Mm-hmm. And he just said, well, play me something. And so I played him a song I'd written. And he goes, well, play me something I don't like. And I thought I started laughing. He said, I would love to demo that song. And flew me down to Muscle Shoals and uh, demoed three of my songs, pitched one. It ended up on a McGuinn Hillman album. Yeah. And he signed me to the publishing company. I went back to L.A. and thought, what am I doing here? And just moved to Muscle Shoals. Yeah. Just cold moved there in 1980. And that's how, how far is that from Nashville? 
Uh, I'm less than from here. I'm like an hour and forty five minutes. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So well, that's... Muscle Shoals is across. I live in right. North Florence. I'm in the north. Oh, okay. I'm in the north part of Muscle Shoals where I live. Yeah. The studios are two hours from here. Yeah. Two two fifteen. But all that said, it made it easy when you. Um, made your foray into Christian music in the early 80s. That made it early. Well, I didn't come to Nashville for no, that. No, you didn't. Yeah, oh, okay. No, I, well, tell me about that. So I I'm, just did it. We did it right in the, our own home down even, there. Even Because that's, I was living down there, and that's where Lenny LeBlanc lives. I was going to say, wasn't Mich- uh, Lenny LeBlanc? And Bl- Michelle Plark came mm-hmm. down there. I did her first two records. Yeah. And uh, then I did Lenny's record, and then Cindy Richardson's record. Yeah. And, and we, you know, people were coming down there. Did you cross paths with, oh, because Michelle was married to Larry Carlton at that this time. This is pre-Larry. Oh, pre-Larry. Okay. Yeah, this is pre-Larry. Okay. Okay. Did you ever work with Larry? I age? wish. Okay. Of course, he'd, actually, if you really want to know, he and Michelle came through Muscle Shoals, and I was opening outside for the Handy Festival down there, mm-hmm. and the back line was this very harsh-sounding boogie amp that I never liked. I never liked them. They're just those EV speakers. There's no sag in them at all. And yeah. There's, you know, so I'm not liking my tone, and I'm playing a little bit rough, and I'm just not digging it. And I turn around, and like eight feet behind my amp, Larry Carlton sitting there, and I didn't hit a note I liked. I could not even play. And I'm not usually like that. I yeah. usually just simplify and go, well, and this is what I do. You're trying to cuss out your own finger. I just disintegrated, I think. you know. That was about 25 years ago. I mean, I, but, I'm telling you. But that was the only time I ever met Larry. Well, I was just so just so sheltered as a kid. The only reason I even knew about Larry Carlton was because of Michelle Villar, because I was yeah. such a huge fan of him. Well, of course, of Larry was. Uh, I crossed. When I left, actually, L.A., speaking of Larry, mm-hmm. when I left, L.A. to drive to Muscle Shoals mm-hmm. to move there, my driving music was Chain Reaction by the uh, Jazz Crusaders. Yes. And I'm not a jazz guy, but right. that was such a funky record. Yeah. It was very rhythmic on that record. Of course, on... How long ago was that? That was... 38 years ago okay i was gonna say yeah that's yeah so and, i, I so he was, was a big inf- his yeah. his kind of tic-tac rhythm soulful yeah. stuff was such a big influence on me and because i just listened to it as i drove across the mojave desert you yeah. know on my way here time to hit the pause button grab a beverage and a stretch and come back here in just about 30 seconds because when we return will's going to talk about gear his less is more philosophy when it comes to a stage setup and his thoughts on how guitar players can actually find their own voice all of that plus another round of take your pick coming up on the second half of this week's conversation with will mcfarland i'm marcia wilder and you are at nashvilleguitarstore.com at NashvilleGuitarStore.com, paying full price for guitars is a thing of the past. Like dial-up internet. You'll find Epiphone, Fender, Gretsch, Ibanez, Taylor, and lots more. What you won't find is the big box store prices. Get yourself a killer guitar at a fraction of the retail price at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. NashvilleGuitarStore.com CD Axe to the Root. That is Will McFarlane and Back in the Circle Blues for the Prodigal. 
Will is our guest this time around. Thanks for joining me for part two of our conversation with him. I'm Marcia Wilder, and you are at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. Are you kind of a gearhead, or would you consider yourself a less is more guy? I, I'm, I tend to be a less is more guy. Uh, you know, That's I does not surprise me. I play you know, with maybe four pedals on the ground okay. and, uh, and a guitar into an amp. That's it? Yeah. Love it. Pretty much. Dang. I have a studio pedal board that I think has six pedals in it. Yeah, Because okay. I have a wah-wah, because yeah. you just never know. I was just going to say, do you have a... <laughs> please tell me you have a wah-wah. Because... Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Because, I love it. Just put a picture of it. Wah-wah, dot, dot, dot. Because you just never know. You just never know. <laughs> that just you needs just to be the caption yeah, right yeah, there. You just never know. Man, if you had one guitar in your arsenal, though, that could tell a, a story, what would it be? Well, it's probably my '54 Strat. Okay. And that, you know, I guess a gear. Because you had said before the the uh, the tape got rolling that you are more of an electric guy. Yeah, I do a lot of acoustic work, and I have a very beautiful James Goodall mm-hmm. concert model about a twenty-three-year-old guitar that's aged like a, it, it's. It, I, it must be like a Fibonacci ratio when I look at it. It actually moves my soul to just look at it. When you said Fibonacci, you actually got a smile out of my husband who happens to be in the studio right now. You just totally made his way. It's like, boing, I get it. I get that. It's like the ratio. It's it's, it's God's most famous shape. Midwest, ladies and gentlemen. And so... Yeah, so I love my acoustic, and I touch it beautifully, I think. And I, I mean, they're great acoustic. You know, I, I, I live in a town where Mac McAnally and Walt yeah. Aldrich and yeah. Jim Seals live, who are brilliant acoustic players. Yeah. And I don't, you know, pretend to be able to go into the directions that they go, but but I love to record acoustic. But nine, 75% of the time, I'm playing electric guitar. Right. And uh, I've had wonderful guitars over the years, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I guess if the house caught on fire and I had to dive in okay, there and that just was, grab, Actually, that was like one of my next questions. Go ahead. And I had to grab a guitar. Uh, I'd probably grab my old white Strat that okay. I played with Bonnie all those years. It's serial number 0533. Love it. It's like a three-digit serial. So, so if so, anything happens to it, we now have on recording what the serial number yes, is. It's, so. it's 0533. And you know, I bought it as a refund for $400. It's, you know, I've been offered whatever 20 grand for it because it, you know, it's not as, it's not stock anymore. I've refreshed. It's a great yeah. playing guitar. Right. And it's got, you know, different tuning pegs in it. And I've replaced some bridge inserts. And it's a familiar and, old friend. And it's, it's just mine. It's yeah. not a matter of money. It's just, great because i had 0247 for a while and it was a dog uh-huh. just wasn't a great guitar right and so i traded it to rick Vito actually for an amp i think i know it's crazy i lived in michigan and taught at a music store um taught voice at a music store and uh, it was owned by a guy now named del langans and he nobody ever saw del unless you knew where to find him he was in the back and he just made his guitar that was just what he did he just all day just made some of the most beautiful guitars and um i'm always curious what it takes what is it that you look for when you're i mean because you've got all your you've got your old standbys and what when you're looking for something new is it is it shape is it feel is it weight what do you look for and i really encourage people that when the when the instrument in your hands is speaking to you. Mm-hmm. That's the instrument. You can't say, well, one of these days I'll get one of these days because it won't be that instrument. Right. Wood is wood. Mm-hmm. And some wood, luthiers, sometimes I'll hear them say the wood's happy with itself. Huh. You know, you, you, some wood just resonates. You can touch the tip of the neck up here, you, you know, the peg head, yeah. and just strum it open and you'll feel it vibrate through your fingers. Oh, wow. And some of it just doesn't. It just doesn't. I never buy, I never just take an electric guitar off the wall and plug it into an amp. I sit down with it and I just strum a chord and I see if it, Mm -hmm. if it's got any harmonic integrity in it at all, because you can't tell me the wood doesn't affect the sound of an electric guitar. People are into pickups and this, but some electric guitars just, they just don't speak Mm there. And so whatever your pickup is, it's going to have, it's just not going to be what you, what I want. And so I generally play an electric guitar 
for for quite a while before I ever plug it in. Okay. And I'll A, B it with three or four others nearby, and mm-hmm. one of them will just start to speak to me, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and once it starts to speak to me, then I'll I'll plug it in, you know, with no effects, no mm-hmm. nothing, just to hear what it does into an amp I'm familiar with. Okay. I tend to like small fenders. That's just me. Okay. I like, you know, my main amp is a 69 Princeton that's been restored, but it's... It's just a great little amp. Well, that, that and it's never good. lost a, a Princeton shootout, ever. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it's a great little amp. And uh, it was restored by Superfine and Durham. And I think the guy's just, you know, he's a great two-band freak. He's, he's just a great guy. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I'll i plug it into my, you know, if, I, if I'm in a buying mood, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. plug it into my Princeton because I know what it does. And I'll strum it and I'll start to like it. And you know what I mean. How many guitars do you have? I'm not a super collector. I probably have, I I, I don't know, it's less than 20. Okay. Uh, that would put you at but I don't, not quite super collector, but just definitely yeah. good collector. But, but you know, when you go to a studio and you don't really know who the artist is and you're going to do a day or two, mm-hmm. you know you need a telly. Mm-hmm. You know you might need a Strat if you want a little that cluck in it, you know, yeah. or a whammy bar floated. And you know you're, you might need power chords, so you need something with humbuckers in right, it. Right, right. So I'm going to bring a Telly and a Strat and a Les Paul maybe. And then maybe a Gretsch with a Bigsby, put a little tremolo on it and strum a G chord. And, then, and a Wawa because you just never know. You never know. And then you're bringing acoustic. So you're going to show up at the studio with you know five guitars or yeah, something. Yeah. Unless they just say, it's just a country song, it's a, oh, gotcha. you know, it's a rockabilly thing, and then I might bring just a Gretsch and a Telly and a, gotcha. see which one works better. and. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, I And do, have I a do. tap analog delay for a little slap. Right. And, and, and that's, that's all I need. What, what you need for but, the moment, yeah. But then you might sit with something that really speaks to you. Yeah. And so, you know, I have a backup strat. You know, I don't bring my 54 out much. Right, I'll right. be playing it tonight, you know, but, uh, but I don't bring it out much. Yeah. And so I have a really nice, like a custom-built Dancaster, you okay. know, that's a really nice guitar that yeah. speaks to me. It just, it spoke to me that yes, day. Yes, And I have, you know, a 54 Japanese reissue that I got for five or 600 bucks that's just, okay. they were just make they were making great copies. They were better than the American stuff, you know, yeah. back in the day. And yeah. so I have a 54 reissue that's a really nice mm-hmm. work-a-day guitar that's mm-hmm. totally replaceable in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, um... And same with the telly. I have my 55 telly that I've had for 40 years, but yeah. I don't bring it out anymore. And I have a custom-built TMG that I really enjoy. That's a great guitar. Very yeah. Chris Rodriguez last night played it and loved it. Oh. So it's really a guitar. What, it's a, right. we, we were trading uh. out stuff, and I loved some of his stuff, and he loved some of my stuff. Oh, my and gosh. We yeah. had a great time last yeah. night. But, uh, but yeah, it's a great – it's my work-a-day telly. It's gotcha. my gig. And, but I also have, you know, a telly with – you know, like a, a gold foil in the neck. Right, and a, you know, right. I just have little parts caster kind of. Do you have Do you have any of those like like uh, Christopher Guest and Spinal Tap? Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Yeah, don't even look at it. All right. Yeah, that's that's funny. Now, well, actually, uh, I have a beautiful. It's just a mid '80s dot neck re- custom okay. shop Gibson reissue of mm-hmm. a 335, and it's bird's eye and it's tobacco sunburst, and it's really a nice 335. Nice. And that's one of the ones when I'm in a stand. You know, a lot, people can come up and sit in with us and all that, but it's don't 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 even touch it. Yeah, yeah, don't even. Yeah. I mean, except, unless I really know you well. You yeah, know? right. Do you, wait, do you hear that? The sustain. Yeah, it's, just, right. it's right there. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but so yeah, so I have work and everything I own works, mm-hmm. like all of it's intonated, yeah. and feels good, and everything I own is usable today. Okay. It's not just a show. Th- a yeah, it's show not thing. like something I hang behind glass, and yeah. I, I'm not a, I'm a functional because gotcha. I could never rationalize, you know, just buying something. Right. Whatever. I understand. You know. I, I mean? understand. I you know, I have a, a really nice Tom Anderson strat type guitar that's just pristine and every now and then if i'm going to do a thing that they want maybe an 80s rock mm-hmm. kind of very pristine but you're gonna uh like it keeps its character if you put chorus and delay a lot oh, of chorus okay, and yeah. delay you okay, know it still comes through and yeah. you know if i know it's going to be something like that and i'm going to maybe be doing some police-ish or some 80s kind yeah. of stuff and maybe a little more saturation that tom anderson's like perfect for that you know what i mean they're yes, they're they very do. very functional yes. instruments in yeah. my life that i uh that but i you have talk about like you talk about your children yeah <laughs> they are they're great. all very different they're yeah just like your kids yeah they are yeah. you know and and no two of them are alike i don't i don't repeat myself right 
You know what I mean? I do. And I'm just going to let that one go. No, I'm just playing. Um, so let's back up and talk about processors for a real quick minute. In Like back when I was listening to records, those long, those big round plastic things, kids, that about the yeah, size the of a Big black pizza. CDs. Those, yeah, those big black CDs about the size of a pizza. Um, you went with a, a separate ampl- amplifier and a preprocessor. And that was what a lot of people considered the only way to get a good sound. Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking as an audiophile, but as a guitar player, um, what works for you to get the best sound these days? I think you well, kind of touched on well, it. Well, you know, back in the 80s at one point, they were going for super separation mm. in the studio, and they didn't want any leakage. Like, I love records where you sort of hear a little ambience yeah. and leakage. Yeah. And I came from that generation where everybody was in the same room. You started showing up at a at a session, and they would have two DIs for you, mm-hmm. and you'd send them your, you know, sort of amp in a box with speaker simulators, and it would go direct to tape. Mm-hmm. There was no air moving, gotcha. and you'd put EMG speaker uh, EMG pickups mm-hmm. in your guitar, yeah. and it was very about two years of that. And I thought, I suck. I, I just started okay. losing my touch or signature, yeah. and one day I showed up at a record. And the engineer was Steve Melton. He's a guitar player himself and loved guitar. I and I just showed up at this session, and I put my 1960 Tweed 410 basement on the floor, and I ran something out. Just all I had in line was a volume pedal okay. and a tuner. Okay. And he walks out there past the two DIs and looks at me and goes, uh, what are we doing today, Will? <laughs> I said, just don't tell anybody. Just put a 57 on it. Let's see what happened. Yeah. And they just oh, had me down yeah. at, you know, instead of me at nine and three yeah. stereo all day yeah. long, you know, with some kind of splitter and some, yeah. you know, digital processor. Uh, he just puts me over there at like 830 mono and right. all day long right. people are going, man, you sound great today. <laughs> and I thought, I'm just moving air yeah. again. Right, and, right, and, right. and so I tend to like to mic an amp. Mm-hmm. That's okay. just me. And I, I love the guys that have the Kempers. And mm-hmm. I, I've been on sessions with them, and you're just amazed. Yeah. But I just think I, I'm gonna I'm not going to waste my learning curve right now in yeah. my life. I just know what I like. And I, I'm just not going to learn the whole scrolling thing. And they tell me it's real intuitive and great. Yeah. But I, I tend to I, – I, I never had like a refrigerator full mm-hmm. of rat gear. I, I, I did at one point have – yeah, I, the speaker yeah, I know, simulator. Yeah. It was only about yeah, maybe ten inches, maybe a foot tall. Oh, and, okay, I was thinking, and, and, okay. and even at one in one space, still open in there, you know, right. so I could stuff wires in there. Right, right. And it, you know, it had a some little ADA processor, so I could get chorus and delay and things like that. And I had a little MIDI pedal on the floor, and I used it for about six months in my life, and went back to. Mm-hmm. And and you know primarily I like a little bit of a compression in my line so that I don't spike the engineer. Right. Most times when you go into studio like they it. assume that you're going to spike them so yes. they immediately compress you yes. before they even. Yes. But I and I can tell when I'm being double squashed and I'll always go let me show you what I'm sending you first. And Trust me as a singer I got that too. So you know what I mean. <laughs> so and I then so I put a little compressor in yeah. line and right now I'm actually using a compressor I've really grown to like it's okay. a. It's the JHS Pulp and Peel. Yeah. And the reason I like it, because you can set it, it doesn't pump. Yeah. It's not like a Dynacomp, which I could never use because I always felt like they sucked the tone out okay. of my... But some people love them. Mm-hmm. Man, I know people who sound amazing with them. But I, I I run it to the compression I want, and then you blend it in mm-hmm. to the line. And so I've never had it all the way up, ever. Okay. And I like that. And then I go into a Klon. I've had a Klon for years. Okay. And Back when you bought them for 260 bucks, and, and that was – I had Christmas money that year, and I <laughs> – I'd never paid more than $100 for a stomp box on the floor. Let's but treat yourself. <laughs> but I, I bought this. I played through it, and I realized, oh, yeah. that's just like you like your tone. You like your amp, and you step on that, and you go to wind cries Mary. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's, oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I bought that Klon, most expensive pedal. Now they're like 1800 bucks on eBay. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm but, so out of that loop. But yeah. somebody said, I wouldn't just leave was, that on the floor. Because I, I was going to say, I wonder how much they cost now. I mean, yeah. you're talking. Well, he stopped making them, and so the old oh, ones okay. are all like okay. this super collectible thing. So I go into a Klon, and then right now in my board, I have another JHS pedal. I have a thing called a Moonshine that's just gives me a little more saturation if I need it. And I run it actually pretty low. And then I go into a... A tap delay, an analog tap delay. Okay. Um, that again, I'm using a JHS pedal. I've used different things. Uh, I mean, every now and then I'll switch something out and decide tonight's right. a clean gig and I'll put a vertex 
steel stringer in the mix or 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 you know or tonight's really a rock and roll gig mm-hmm. and uh you know and yeah. i'm gonna take this i'm just gonna take stuff out yeah. you know i'm not even gonna use stuff but yeah. and then at the end just for the studio in my studio rack i have a flint i have that strymon flint because to me it's just tremolo and reverb but it turns a tweed amp into a blackface you know it's just oh, cool you, or and also if my amps in the other room i don't have to get up a lot of the r&b we do with tremolo is like the yeah. language yeah and um and i don't have to get up and go in the next room and right. turn the tremolo on my right. princeton uh, i can just it's really it gives you three options for tremolo and three options for reverb okay and I really like that. And that's all That's yeah. all I have on Sounds the floor. Sounds pretty user-friendly. I, mean, I have I a just... box full of pedals at home. But <laughs> I really do. I mean, I have a box full of them. Yeah. I have other delays and I have other overdrives. And I, you know, mm-hmm. and every now and then I'll go, how does that sound? But honestly, if you really want to know, in my living room, uh, when I was on the Late for the Sky tour, I went mm-hmm. shopping with David Lindley. And one of the things, that was a great day. I spent 275 bucks. I got a 63 Strat, a 59 Tele, and a 58 Tweed Champ. All for 200 bucks? 275. Shut up. So anyway, (laughs) so anyway, so that tweed champ sits in my living room. It's just got one on off volume. That's the tone you get. And I have an old deluxe memory man. And that's what I chart with. And that's what I listen to. And I spend the rest of my life trying to sound as good for the world as I do at low volume in my living room. That's where I really think, (laughs) you know, my touch, I hear it all, my little nuances and. And that little tweed champ with memory man in front of it is just my favorite sound I ever get in, in the world. Oh. You know, with just a little bit of delay. Just give me some ambience in yeah. my living room. That's so cool. That's actually my home rig. Your test market. Your your your, your laboratory, yes, as it were. Yeah. Um, I heard in a, a, a recent inter- interview, um, you had said something that was so cool about... Um, when you hear certain players like a Buddy Guy or a BB King, just from that first note, you know exactly who it is. And Isn't that amazing? It really is because you were. I was sitting there just like watching them, just going, mm, "Amen, brother, amen." Uh, but um, I know that you stylistically are a huge proponent of an artist having his or her own voice, and I'm just curious with the wealth of experience that you've had. Do you think in 2018, do you think a lot of artists, a lot of players, that who's, do you feel like they're they're finding their own voice? Or are they just kind of emulating others? Well, I don't want to sound, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound like my dad going, you know, hearing oh, the right, Beatles and dad. going, right, yeah, right. you call that music? Um, <laughs> but as I said, when I was in high school, the bar was very high. Because mm-hmm. on the radio, you know, you're hearing Clapton and... Mm-hmm. Page, I saw Zeppelin in '69. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're hearing uh, Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. and and in one note, you go, "That's Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. That's B. King. That's Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. That's Jimi Hendrix." Yeah, you know, one note, or and then even you know a little bit later, that's Mark Knopfler. That's mm-hmm. you know what I mean. They're these these signature players, yeah. and now in an age of, and I don't want to just let's say I think the Edge is one of the greatest orchestrators in pop music with you too. Absolutely, yeah. But absolutely, he's not like you know, like he's not going to walk out on stage and take an Albert King solo. Right. He doesn't. He he's an effects guy. So a lot of the next generation, okay, I see. What you're they saying. they find their sound. Gotcha. They they know what a dotted eighth is yeah. on the delay, and they they find their sound orchestrating. So they all there's a sameness in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know that you can, I couldn't differentiate. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd ask people who's this, and they'd say, okay. well, that's whatever Coldplay or. That's you too, or that's Radiohead, or that's an excellent point because I notice, like when I'm listening to you know Pandora, Radio, uh, Spotify, whatever, there are certain seasons in mystery where like one person is the innovator, and then you can lay other bands yeah. end to end to end. But it's also you, like singers. Excuse oh, me for interrupting. No, no, you, but you're totally fine. It's like singers who, uh, you know, there's Aretha. Yes, and then everyone and else, else, of yeah. course. But she, and she could do. She could you know, riff at the end of a line like anybody. Right. But you start seeing that, what one generation, they say it about parenting, what you do in moderation, your kids will do to excess. Ah. You know, you get one little tattoo, they'll sleeve in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because dad word, did it. Word, word, word. You know what gotcha. I'm saying. I do. I so do. it's the same with like Aretha. You you do a little movement at the end of the line, then, there's, then the next yeah. generation comes along and does all this movement at the end, and then they're all sort of, 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. every now and then you'll hear another voice and you'll finally go, I don't know who that is. I want to know who that is. Yeah. You know, because that just was fresh to me because it wasn't, Yeah. you know, just following in a line of, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I tend to, you know, like every now and then when I'm driving in here to Nashville, uh, almost always I'll, I'll, I'll tune into like MOT, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's because I'm almost never heard anything they play. Right. And there'll be two songs in a row and I'm like, whatever, you know. And then there'll be one, and I'll go. Now I gotta wait twenty minutes for him to tell, say who the last five artists are because <laughs> I want to know, know who, who that, that was. Yeah. And I love it when that happens mm-hmm. to me. I love it when I mm-hmm. hear something that I want to know who it is. And so uh, it doesn't happen that much to me. And I don't want to sound like no. I'm just the old guy sitting back here going. And there's doesn't, a but but I've also been in headphones mm-hmm. with Bobby Bland and Little Milton and Etta James and Bonnie Raitt, and mm-hmm. and you know. And you could say, well, am I spoiled or whatever, but I've, I've heard really amazing singers. And now I cut tracks with people that if they're in my headphones, mm-hmm. I can't tell if I'm in tune or in time. But they're going to cut and paste, and they're going to mm-hmm. you know, use a little Melodyne, and they're going to sound great at mm-hmm. the end of it all. When the track's going down, they're pitchy, and they're not in time. You know, because image many times. I think MTV, and I'm not trying to be, or just video, if you put out a great video, you could be a rock star, and yeah. nobody in the band actually be really that good. Yeah. Back in the day, I didn't oh. know what anybody looked like. Right. You just they just had to be good. Yes. You know, yes. like I didn't know what Eric Clapton looked like. All right. I know is when right. I first heard, you know, yeah. I feel good. Right. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> I just went, who are these guys? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And sunshine of your love and that solo, and I went, yeah. oh my god, you know, and and now you don't hear the signature solo anymore you don't hear the one you can sing along with uh, the metal heads That's became phrygian mode 16th notes at 220 yeah except for some of them weren't you know yeah. some of them had signature eddie van halen and people like that but it became a lot of math and super speed and and all this and so i didn't know who anybody was i never knew who anybody was through the 80s yeah. you know and, style over substance and so i think that. there's yeah it, there, there tends to more image than content mm-hmm you know, Perfect. and and the sound bites are real quick and they flash. I can't even tell who they are after a three-minute video because they haven't left the camera on anybody's face for longer than two seconds. And you, you don't know? even really get to see, like every, like back in the early age video, they, they might zoom in on the hand and so yeah. you can see what they're doing. They don't even do. Yeah, they don't even do that anymore. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, so what we're saying is that, you know, it's really fresh to me. I, I'm starting to hear more than a lot of the young players are listening to classic rock because that's where they go back and hear the guys that we grew up on, and they hear the humanity in it. They yes. don't hear the digital yes. thing. They don't hear the synth thing. They don't hear. They just hear, wow, that's a real organist, and that's a guitar player, and there's a bass player, and there's a drummer. Yeah. And they're going back and, and listening to these ensembles yeah. that played like a band together, and yeah. you're starting to hear it. Well, I mean, everything swings. Everything, the pendulum, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. pendulum swings, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, as I said, but we, we appraise what... What I listen to, yeah. I I really like hearing. I felt a glimmer of hope when when yeah. Lenny Kravitz came on the scene. Yeah, that uh, pardon, was a oh, little pardon, pardon my interruption, but that was a, that was yeah. a glimmer of hope when it just when you when you saw the mastery and 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 the whole group. Yeah. It's like yeah. it wasn't just one person showboating. It was it was it was a whole sound. Yeah, it was, they rocked. It, yeah, they really did. It was stuff like that, yeah. but. But I spent most of the 80s and 90s, you know, in headphones. Mm-hmm. And so that was great. You yeah. know, I didn't, you know, have to, you know, be aware of what was out there because we had a niche mm-hmm. down there and people came to our town because we were speaking a language that they still heard. That's yeah. why Johnny Taylor and Bobby yeah. Bland and whatever yeah. still did their records with yeah. us, you know, yeah. or Percy or, you know, Percy, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that's... You know, that's where I lived, and so yeah. that's what I knew I had to do. So it, it, it didn't always challenge me to to learn a lot. So I had to sort of take it upon myself when I, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you go out and you learn, mm-hmm. you know, half-tone, whole-tone scales, and you're learning little outside turnarounds, it's not going to yeah. that's not gonna fly right. on, mo- on 90% of the stuff I did. Right. So I put these live bands, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, have a, I keep a live band yeah. so that, there's your outlet. We can go out and figure out how this really works mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But, uh, uh, you know, I want to keep growing. I want to keep playing. I want to keep getting better. I think I'm better now than I was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that if you stop learning, you just stop living in a way. You need to yeah. have something that, you know, if you just settle back on your lees, you know, you're, yeah. you're, it's the, the wine bottle is going to taste 
kind of funky. Mushy, you know, it's going to have... <laughs> It's going to have that all that sediment in yes. it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Is that what you would say to your 25-year-old self now? Is that kind of something you would say? I would say be a learner. Yeah. And, and But in a way, I never got excellent at anything, but I loved a bunch of things, and mm-hmm. I got good. I got real good at a bunch of things, okay. but I never became a special – I never got – I'm not a mind-blowing guitar. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm, I get hired for what I leave out. Yes. Knowing what not to do is, okay. a, is a big deal. To me, you learn how to do something yeah. and that you can get a job every now and then. Yeah. But if you learn what not to do, you can make a living. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and so, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I love playing a real country song that's got a real lyric, not just whatever, tight jean, pickup truck, long neck. <laughs> And, and and I love a real country song. You have just made my day. But you know what I mean. So you I love a real country just song. Made my whole freaking day. Well, yes. and I love a good R and B. You know, I yes. love it when somebody, and I love it if an artist wants to come cut an old. You know, like when we cut "Never Loved a Man" with mm-hmm. Demi Lovato for okay. this for this Dreamlined record. Yeah. She didn't come in there pitchy. Yeah, she came in there and no one or stuff. Not she knocked it. I, I was heartbroken when a month later, you know, she know. hit the wall. But yeah. but uh, that was refreshing. You know, yeah. we had Spooner, the original Whirly player. Oh, I never really? loved a man and David Hood and you know and, and we we cut it like we were cutting it for the first time. I love it. And uh, and I love doing that too. It you could say, well, it's not very original. Yeah, but it scratches a deep itch, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Scratches Absolutely. a deep itch, Absolutely. and so I love being part of things that that do that, but uh, and the old R and B things, and every now and then we'll just cut a rock and roll tune and just mm-hmm. you know, and it just feels great to get out of Les Paul and overdrive it and just do power chords and yeah. you know, there's that is something very you know scratches a 15 year old nerve in there I'm too. So BB King once said that uh, country music is. Good country music is a white man's blues. Oh yeah. And I, well, they asked Ray Charles once who his favorite blues singer was. He said George Jones. <laughs> that's fantastic! Holy cow, that's awesome! Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, um, what's next for you? What's going? I mean, I know you got to head back to. Well, I hope to the shoals. Actually, I'm playing with Big oh, Shoes tonight. Oh, that's right, you're playing. Yeah, tonight. so and that's a great band. Wonderful players. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in rare air there. You yeah. know, the keyboard player did Tupelo Honey for Van Morrison. Oh and, snap! You know, it was Bonnie Raitt's <laughs> band and mm-hmm. Taj Mahal's and Jackson's and Winona's and yeah. Lyle Lovett. And, yeah, I mean, he's a but, yeah. super great player. Yeah, Andy Peake, the drummer, he's our leader and just serious mm-hmm. pocket. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. And good players, great feel, and so we're going to play tonight. But honestly, for me too, I feel it's somewhere back under my wings. There's one more little season where I know the world isn't waiting around for a, you know, some gray bearded, you know, new artist to come on the scene kind of thing out there. But I, I'm writing a lot lately, and I, I just want to, I want to do a project before I. You know, mm-hmm. before it's over, just one more, take a shot at it, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. do just a simple roots based mm-hmm. project that, um, and so I'm really thinking, I'm writing, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, hear things that I say. I, I usually, as a songwriter, I would just write whatever came to my mind, and I'd realize when I'm taking the solo, this isn't actually really what I'm best at. Yeah. But I wrote this song, and I'm going to do this song. I'm, st- I'm trying to maybe. And then people are always disappointed when they get my records. Mm-hmm. Not always, but they'll go, I wanted more guitar playing out of you. Oh. But I was sort of tasteful, and I just did the yeah. little eight-bar solo yeah. in the middle. And I, you know, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't, and there's a proverb that says it's a fool who speaks his whole mind, you know. And so I just never, you know, took long solos. and everything. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to cut something that feels like I actually, like if I'm going to walk around my house, and I just am just riffing and just yeah. playing off the top of my head, yeah. and all of a sudden I go, God, I've never written anything with that groove that that solo would work over. Okay. And, uh, and, and so I'm starting to process yeah. uh, and hoping to maybe sometime in the next year. I'm actually, uh, uh, there's a studio that I worked at uh, as well as I was, 
you know, with the Muscle Shoals rhythm section mm-hmm. at Sound. But I had the good fortune to work at Fame, and I work at Fame all the time now. Mm-hmm. And But there was a studio that closed and was defunct for years that a guy's moved into town and reopened, and it's mm-hmm. called East Avalon. We did four, oh, yeah. four number ones down there for the Forrester Sisters. We gotcha. did the Kendall's records, yeah. and we did Michelle Pilar's first oh, okay. record there, yeah. East Avalon. I did my first record there at East Avalon. Okay. And so it's opened back up, and it's just getting started again. And the owner uh, loves barter, and he might need a guitar solo or something. So, And he'll go, how much you got to pay? And I said, I, I, I'll, I'll do it for time. Yeah. So I'm amassing time. Trust me, I understand You know that what I mean? Wholeheartedly. So I'm a, I, I love the barter system. I'm amassing time right yeah. now. And yeah. one of these days, when I think I've got some stuff under my hood, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to go in there and, and dump out the reservoir yes. and uh, see what happens. And so, I, yeah, I, I feel like I'd like to do um, some yeah. personal stuff uh, that would here awesome. in the next couple of years. That would be awesome. Can we uh, follow you? have a website. Uh, I haven't kept up my website in so long. Uh, it is willmcfarland.com. And you're also on social media. You're yeah, on Facebook. Um, yeah, but apparently I'm, I need a, an artist page. Because I'm maxed out with you yeah, know you, friends or something. I know that sounds no no no. And, I get you know, you've got so many friends. Yes, yeah right. You know it's like you reach I, I've thought about leaving Facebook, but then how else would I tell five thousand of my closest <laughs> friends that I just made coffee? <laughs> Or show them pictures of my eggs. <laughs> Look what I did this morning. Yeah, so anyway. Well, I, listen, I, I got to tell you, this has been a real thrill for me. But I do know that, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get you. We'll, I'll try to con- encourage you to get that artist page going. But, yeah, Will McFarlane, uh, uh, if you don't know his music, go ahead, YouTube it. It's, it is a, a real treat. Great voice, great sound. And we cannot end our time together. Without my audio Rorschach test, my little game called Take Your Pick. It is not difficult. This is not revolutionary. I'm just going to give you two things and you pick one. (laughs) Get it? Take your pick because we're clever here. Thanks. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Uh, Guitar strings, tens or elevens? Tens. Except when I play slide. (laughs) Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Page or Clapton? Clapton. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> My throat is... <just, laughs> <laughs> I'm finishing a cup now. Is this on film? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, amps, fenders or... Um, fender. Yeah, okay. Just don't even worry about it. I was just going to say fender or... Yeah, it's fender. Um, toothpaste, middle of the tube or roll it up from the end? I roll it up from the end. Would you please talk to him? <laughs> this is the king of squeezing from the middle of the tube right here. Ladies and gentlemen, he's David Wilder. No, um, your dream guitar teacher, Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan? Uh, you know... Or C, fill in the blank. <laughs> I'd actually really love to sit down in a room... Uh, with somebody like Robin Ford and just figure Ooh. out how he gets a little outside. He doesn't, he can live there. Like I can do these little turnarounds that yeah. get me outside for a second, but he can live there. Yeah. And I wonder how I could live outside for about eight bars and All then right. back. It wouldn't take much. That's right. I love that. Robin Ford, we got to remember that for a future. Uh, or Buzzy Feet. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah. Those are the guys that they're so blues-based. Yeah. A lot of guys sort of were jazz and classical, and they added blues. Mm-hmm. But but those two guys, they're blues guys mm-hmm. who added all this other stuff. So Buzzy, Buzzy or, or Robin. Robin? There you go. Um, live or studio? You know, I love them both. I love live energy, but I think really I I – my nuances are more evident on tape. Yeah. Like I can low volume when I'm in the studio. I can, I hear it. Whereas live when you're wide open, there's no subtlety sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, and I can't. So it's very close. I would like to think that I'm pretty equal at both, but okay. I, I think I'm a studio guy. Uh, 4 a.m., get up or go to bed? Well, uh, neither. <laughs> at this point, back in the day, it was go to bed. Yeah. But. I'm reading in bed at 10.30. Gotcha. But if I got a plane flight out of Nashville, yeah, it's getting it's up. It's getting up. Yeah, okay. And last, uh, guitar riffs, Smoke on the Water or Purple Haze? 
Oh, purple haze. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you, NashvilleGuitarStore.com. Dedicated to bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. To hear more, subscribe to the Nashville Guitar Store podcast in iTunes. Go to NashvilleGuitarStore.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you.